We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company coming at you Monday morning, January 23rd. I'm joined as I am every Monday by Timberwolves beat writer Chris Hine. Chris, who's already out in Houston before the Wolves and Rockets square off again here Monday night, up and ready to do a podcast at 9 a.m. after his 49ers fans of the NFC Championship. Super Bowl, Super Bowl's back on, Chris. Super Bowl is back on tentatively. Tentatively, Uh, Brock Purdy had a couple uh, moments yesterday, um, but defense prevailed. So Super Bowl is tentatively back on. I I, I want listeners. I packed the microphone that I have. There you go. I brought it to Houston. I took up valuable uh, space in my carry on to bring the to bring the microphone here today. So this is this is my commitment to the podcast. Your your dedication to the podcast and the Timberwolves fan base is. (laughs) Is endless. Even though you could check a bag, you just choose yeah, not I just, to. I, I choose not to. I, the last thing I, I want to do when I travel is wait at baggage claim, or or have to show up early to check the bag. This is this it is, is, this is where is a, we diverge. I don't want to carry. I just, carry it I, just with me. I just want to go. I literally just want to go to the airport, go through security, and just go right onto the plane. That's that's kind of how I I time it anymore. Like very little wasted time at the airport is. Is my is the way I travel. Well, so. you're you're the vet. I'm I'm catching up. To, I mm-hmm. also got to bring all my like podcasting stuff. So that would be that. Mm-hmm. You you think you've right. given up right. space with a microphone? I got this whole board, and they always like they deconstruct my entire like uh, microphone stand because <laughs> they're like, it what does, is this? It does look a before. little questionable. It does. <laughs> um, anyways, we have the Wolves' first Houston matchup to to get to to discuss. Um, obviously the, the main theme from that one, Chris is Ant and, and what he did 44 points. Um, I think even more than that, like it was just super apparent, like in the first half that Ant was the only guy like really, really dialed in for this one. And, you know, three years now covering Ant, uh, it's been so often the case when there are players that tired or not all the way engaged in a random game in the middle of the season that Ant was often one of the players who felt not engaged, right? He said that. He's like, oh, I didn't have it. I wasn't locked in. Like, I, I thought that as little as a win over the Houston Rockets means, like, mm-hmm. broadly to take away something that, oh, like, I do take something from that, that on a night where the rest of the team was 
basically ready to fold through the first two, two and a half quarters of the game. Ant wasn't. And as we've talked about consistency with him or lack thereof throughout his, his career, I, I, I really am genuinely impressed by the consistency we've, we've seen from Ant. And, and then, you know, putting that together with some of the play plays on both sides of the ball that he's making. I mean, I think, I think Ant deserves some, some pretty serious credit for, for that, that first Houston win. And just, yeah, the, the consistency and maturity that I think has, has come with that. Do you taking, are you taking a lot from what Ant's been able to do lately, specifically in that first Houston matchup? Yeah, it's 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 kind of ironic that you think like games against the Rockets or, or wins over Houston would just be kind of throwaway games, but this this past win and the, the win a couple of weeks ago, two very significant moments for Ant in his just in his career. You know, things that might have gone another way last season or even earlier this season, you know, not playing, trying to play through the injury and then the other night, as you said, being the only one that kind of brings it. Um, in addition to Nate Knight, um, but he was the only one that had that had the juice or whatever you want to whatever sure. you want to say. Um, and like you said, there are other times throughout his career where he doesn't have it. And I think the consistency with which he has been uh, playing with recently is is part of the step forward. Right, this is part of the leap. The leap is the leap is essentially: can you do what you do? once every four or five games, once every two or three games, that is making the leap. It is, it is not like, it's not necessarily like adding stuff to your bag, although that, that helps Mm -hmm. or, or just, you know, whatever, whatever that may be, but it's, it's showing those glimpses of who you can be just on a more consistent basis. That is making the leap. And on a Saturday night against the Rockets, can you carry your team to a win? Mm -hmm. And, and I, I don't know that, you know, a few months ago or last season that that is the case with Anthony Edwards. And it was the case on, on Saturday night. Well, so I 100% with you that that's the biggest takeaway is just his overall consistency right now. And it's important context that particularly right now with Kat and Rudy and other guys in and out of the lineup, like this group can't carry itself to a win. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think if you get, I mean, I'm not saying you need to get 44 from Ant to win every single game. But if you don't get like 24, I think this team's probably losing almost every single game. Ant doesn't do that right now. Yeah. Like we we saw it when he was off the floor against Houston. I'm blanking on who the team was where he got ruled out for the game. Was that was that Detroit? Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Detroit, yeah. And it's like this team without Ant can really hit a low. Um yeah. and, and he yeah. has he's become the stabilizer and Honestly, kind of surprising to me, like a tone setter. Um, and I think Finch yeah. is pretty in tune to that, that Ant is willing to be a tone setter and that he can go to him and be like, yo, uh, we just played in Denver and, to- and Toronto back <laughs> right. to back within 22 hours. Like everybody's probably going to be lagging here. Uh, we need you on on Saturday. Yeah. Finch said that 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 happened. And, and I thought, I thought Ant re- responded to that he, he talked a little bit about that in the locker room after the game. I'll play that clip first. Finch said that he, he talked to you yesterday about like needing this yeah. tonight. Yeah. I mean, there's been a couple against teams with that have had a we lot of losses dropped, yeah. that you've dropped. I mean, mm-hmm. is that kind of, he kind of put that on your, your radar? How did that conversation go? Um, you know, he just told me like, uh, another leadership opportunity, uh, come out with my foot on the gas. Uh, we need these wins, man, just to put us in a great position. So, um, 
you know, I, I kind of went with that. And he went with me, man. Like, um, I love Finchie, man. That's my dog. I know we might get into it, but that's my dog. Um, he put me in a position to score 40 tonight. If it went for him, he was calling all the plays for me. I think that's big, Chris. I mean, I know it's what we were just, <laughs> just talking about there, but I, this is, like, way too big picture whatever. But, like, Anthony Edwards is getting a max extension this summer, no matter what he really right. did this year. And mm-hmm. And so for him to be really – driven by winning i mean we're all be like oh of course you should be driven by winning like the whole that's the whole point of it like ant does seem to be propelled by taking that leap like he wants that he he wants to figure out what those things are and i know this is just a, a lot of praise and we're doing this within the context of this happening against houston but i'm really talking about the past kind of like two months without cat and as that time goes on and goes on i am impressed by not only his performance but filling the leadership void that this team has even when Carl and everybody is back. Like Ant's kind of stepping up to be to be that dude. And I think Finch really recognizes that and is relying on it. Do you get that sense? I do. I think there's a couple things going on here. One is I think Ant's development this year and, and the way Finch has tried to kind of push the buttons with him has just been interesting to watch. He he hasn't been easy on Ant. You totally. know and kind of making, not making him play, but like really pushing him to kind of play through the injury, pushing him to just dig deeper, do more, like, mm-hmm. like not, not settling for like good is just enough with Ant. It's like, no, you can be spectacular. You know, I, I think you're seeing Finch just always constantly being on Ant in, in a sense of you can do great things. Like you could do good things, but you could do great things. Yeah. If you just push yourself a little harder, work a little harder, you know, do do whatever off the court. Um, and I think you're also seeing the veteran the, the value of the veterans around Ant as well. And I think for for the opposite example, all you have to do is look at the Rockets and like yeah. Jalen Green as an example of like where that can go wrong right now or where it's going wrong. Totally. Uh, for somebody that that was picked that high in the draft. Um so the value of the veterans kind of establishing this this culture around ant to nurture his leadership mm-hmm. like ant, ant is not really coming about this leadership in a, in a bold or brass kind of way like like kind of coming in just trying to take over the leadership reins i think it's interesting that people are really trying to encourage him to do it mm. and it, it's a very it feels like a very organic way in which he becomes a leader not that it's just like oh ant, you just need to be a leader Everything that we've talked to people about Finch or or like Austin Rivers or Kyle Anderson or or people like that is like, no, we want Ant to speak up. We want him to do these things. We're encouraging him to do these things. Not that he's just kind of doing it on his own. I just think it's very interesting that he's coming about this in a very natural way with the help of Finch, the coaching staff and the veterans around him really encouraging him to take the reins. I think it's a very interesting dynamic that's at play right now. I, I'm with that a hundred percent. And I'm also like seeing how he does that leadership too. Like in the, lo- it was just like interesting in the locker room after the Denver loss, um, where it was, you know, no scores in the last, they didn't score in the last two minutes and 51 seconds or whatever. And, mm-hmm. I've seen this like a couple of times from Ant where he's talking to someone. This was Nas um, after the Denver game, but he's kind of talking in that like Ant, like positive sort of tone that you it yeah. doesn't really matter what he says. You can't, you can't, you couldn't take offense to it no matter what. He's 
very good at whatever that is as a communicator. That's like a skill he has. But he was like, in that, sorry, I've lingered here, but the in the Denver locker room, he was like, Nas, like, why didn't you hit me on that one in the corner? And everybody remembers that Denver game. That's where it all went wrong. It was like, there yeah. was a, every one of those possessions. Somebody was like wide open. It was a situation that a leader should be like, Nas, why did you like fastball that to Kyle Anderson under the basket went out of the way? Like that probably lost, like the leader needs to hold Nas Reed accountable there. And we're not just picking on Nas here. There's been other times that this has happened. And I, was, I, I, I turned and I saw Ant doing that. And I'm mm-hmm. like, huh. I'm I like this didn't happen when this kid was this 19 was, this was new yeah and, and 20 new. and he's like feeling out how to push some of those buttons and you know we, we've seen mm-hmm. some different leaders on this team over the time that we've covered this team of different ages different styles and Ants is is different because he just seems to have this rapport with everyone on the team because given what his his personality is and um I've never seen him really like get into anybody like whether like right. on the sideline even certainly not i haven't seen in the locker room but i was like okay and mm-hmm. like yeah that you guys didn't score for the last three minutes it's okay for you as the best player on the floor in that game to be like yo what it was, and, and in his comments he was like i stunk in that game too but like this was a play we messed up we all need to be held accountable for that and mm-hmm. to your point i think that's something like torian prince does in film sessions a lot like i think it's yeah. not only that Torian Prince, Kyle Anderson, Austin Rivers are empowering Ant. I think they're also kind of showing him how to do it. And he's applying his personality to that. And then, yeah, I again, I, I find it pretty impressive for from a 21-year-old who I don't think had these skills even 12 months ago. Yeah. I, another thing I'll add a little snapshot from a, a recent game was when we were in the locker room after the Utah game where Jaden missed the shot at the buzzer, you know, yeah. Ant passes them the ball. We walk in the locker room. And the first thing we see is like Ant going over to Jaden and like, just, you know, talking with them, mm-hmm. you know, you know, shaking his hand, you know, just kind of talking to him, making sure he's okay. Like, you know, and he was down. Next, we'll get Jaden. Was yeah, down. yeah. 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 Like, we'll get you next time. Don't worry about it. You know? And then Ant, you know, talks to us and says, I'm making that pass, and, you know, a hundred times out of a hundred. If I can do it again, Jaden's going to make that shot, you know, just very, very positive, very uplifting. Um, and just in that moment too, just, you know, trusting his teammate to, yep. you know, not forcing a shot uh, over three or four people, but making mm-hmm. the right play and hitting Jaden in the corner for an open look at the buzzer there and not just trying to play hero ball himself um, was, was also, I thought a very telling moment um, at, at the end of that game, even though they lost. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what's telling too, is his teammates all appear receptive to it. You know, mm-hmm. and he's one of the youngest players on the team still. And whether guys are three years older than him, like Nas Reed or Nate Knight or eight years older than him, you know, there there seems to be that respect. Knight talked about Ant as a leader after the game a little bit. I thought this quote was interesting. I talked about Ant and the things he's doing on the court, just from a leadership perspective. It seems like every night when we go in there, he's delivering some message to somebody, like uh, just maybe how he's growing into that role. Yeah, I mean, we've been waiting for that for, for Ant. Um, I mean, it's my second year here. And uh, Finch's challenge, and come out and be that guy because we all rely on Ant on the court, you know, come out and perform and uh, win us games. So it's only natural that he comes in and is a vocal leader as well. And he's starting to do that and he's doing it with flying colors. And, you know, what he says really, really resonates with us because, you know, it's coming from him. 
he's kind of like our, he's the head of the snake when it comes to the Minnesota Timberwolves as of, as of right now, him along with a couple other guys. So when, when Ant speaks up, you know, you, you got to listen. You know what I'm saying? It's interesting, right? We we've heard it's a very, little. It's a very insightful quote, isn't it? Like, yes. Yeah, it's. I I, I think the, the 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 we've been waiting for that from Ant was mm-hmm. was mo- was the line I take away from from that most of all. It's like we are waiting for him to kind of embrace this, and it seems like he finally is. Yeah, and and I think, and you know, and he's like, you, you can kind of hear Nate, you know, add on a couple sentences on there at the end too to be like, it's not just Ant, like, right, Ant and others, but. I think he kind of, I think a lot of the players like see the writing on the wall that in some amount of time, Ant will unambiguously be the quote unquote head of the snake in Minnesota. And they want him to start doing it now. And then, you know, add back in Cat when that happens, you know, as Rudy maybe gets more confident adding that on there too. But I get the sense that the players want Ant to be a, if not the leader. And I think, um, I think Ant's pick. I think that's why Ant's doing it, right? Like I mm-hmm. think I think Ant would have stayed back behind Cat and Pat Bev like he did last year if that's what this team seemed to call for. He seems to have understand through Finch and through his teammates that this is this is what they what they need out of him as a leader and as a player. Let's talk a little bit more about him as a player, what he did in that game and what other players contributed to that win, Chris, but let's take one quick break and we'll be back with Chris. Today's show is sponsored by The Genesis Company. The Genesis Company is one of the world's most successful firms at scaling brands across direct to consumer and retail channels. Their consultants have helped over 300 brands generate more than $3 billion in retail sales thanks to their marketing team's next-gen technologies to influence consumers. Currently, their sales team manages over 100 brands found online and on retail shelves around the world. On average, after working with the Genesis company, clients increase the valuation of their firm by a factor of three. So whether you want to build your brand or eventually sell your firm, they're undefeated and the best of the best. Because they are Minnesota-based and fans of this podcast, they're offering free access to their proprietary AI that lets any founder know if their brand is meeting its potential. In a few hours, you'll know how big your brand is supposed to be. Email them at grow at signthegenesiscompany.com to get your free access and find out if your brand can be the next big thing. That's grow at thegenesiscompany.com. Today's show is sponsored by Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis. And Falling Knife would like you to know that they are having a Super Bowl party on February 12th. Those of you who have attended Wolves Watch Parties at Falling Knife know they have projector screens and TVs throughout the tap room that will have the sound on. That will, of course, be the case for the Super Bowl. And Falling Knife's Super Bowl party is a ticketed event this year. $45 gets you into the event and all you can eat food from Mario's and St. Paul, Italian beefs, Caprese, hero sandwiches, cheesy garlic bread, donut holes. You also will get a pitcher of Tom's beer with that $45 ticket or two full pours of any other beverage. So if you're looking for a place to watch the Super Bowl, put Falling Knife on your map. That's $45 at Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis for all you can eat and a pitcher of beer on February 12th for the Super Bowl. All right, Chris, in addition to leadership, 44 points, whatever. I mean, it was just a it was just a pretty impressive uh performance from Ant. Uh, you know, we see those big dunks happen multiple times in that game. And like we first were, we, we we were wondering what for the first time. Like, I was gonna say like where are the dunks? Where are the dunks? That, it's like that's what I was are. gonna bring up. I was like, is it them all up for that night? 
he, whatever was going on in the beginning of the season, you know, putting on weight in, whether, I mean, I think it was broadly muscle, uh, all those sort of things. I don't think it, I think it's overrated. They came into camp like out of shape per se. Um, I don't think he came into camp with the right body type for him. And he's kind of adjusted off of that, but whatever the point is here coming up in February, Ant looks every bit as explosive as he, as he ever has. Um, that, uh, that leads to the big dunks over Shen Goon. It leads to the force that he's going to the basket with consistently. And yes, he took shoots 16 threes in that game goes eight of 16, but he got to the rim too. And, um, I, I think given the role that he has, particularly with Cat and Rudy out, like they need that from Ant. They absolutely mm-hmm. need the physical burst because everything else that they can do offensively, right, is is kind of limited. Like Kyle Anderson can do a little bit here and there. D'Lo can situationally go off. They need Ant to kind of be that through line of explosive offense for this team. And I, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I take a lot from that. And it's just good to see that Ant's physicality and his jump shot um, have been here at a like really elevated level. And I think the other thing to take away too is this is a busy part of the schedule where you can easily let down. Like this week was, or this past week was not an easy week for them schedule wise. And this whole stretch here, is a very difficult one. There's games either every other day or back to back. They don't have more than one day off between games until like February 10th or something like that. Like they play every other night where it's a back to back. So he has brought it on a consistent basis, despite time zone changes, back to backs going from Denver to Minnesota. Um, you know, that we always, kind of joke with him and he jokes about it that everybody in the league knows Ant's not going to bring it on the tail end of a back-to-back. That's not, that's not the case this season. He's gotten rid of that problem. Mm -hmm. And I think you saw it that Toronto game where, you know, D'Lo had the big fourth quarter offensively, but Ant had the huge fourth quarter defensively. Yep. And that again, on the tail end of a a back-to-back, they got in at 4 a.m. and he is just out there in the fourth quarter, just locking people up. Um, I thought that was a really impressive and notable thing that, again, I don't know that we see that last year for out of him. No way. I don't think he doesn't have that kind of energy on, on that night. And in the fourth quarter, Chris, like that, yep. that's what, you know, really stands out to me from the Toronto game and the, the first Houston matchup is Ant delivering in the fourth quarter and doing so on the defensive side of the ball. Like, I think that's what really swung the needle in both of those games was that Ant was guarding, you know, Siakam, that Ant was that Ant was the point of attack defender against Houston offense often. And that that put Jaden McDaniels off ball. And and I mean, I feel like this is the first few games we've really seen that consistently in the fourth quarter. And I'm like, damn, like Jaden, Jaden is a a real weapon off the ball. And that is only unlocked by Ant being that guy defensively on the ball uh, we asked Ant about that uh, after the game and he kind of echoed like yeah fourth quarter I'm taking the best player so said the other night like kind of started putting it on you like maybe you have to guard the other team's best player. yeah like, uh, for sure what, what do you think of that challenge I know you've taken that on before but maybe doing it more consistently in like game situations yeah for sure um from here on out uh, I think that's pretty much the goal we may have talked about it in the fourth quarter uh 
whoever's go seek out their best um, isolation or score that they got, go get them. How well equipped are you to do that, you think? Um, I'm ready at all times, especially that fourth. It's winning time in the fourth. So. Yeah. Do you feel that like when you are on the ball and you got Jaden like yeah Jaden off the, ball? Off the off, J, see Jay a lot Jaden is great on the ball he's he's the best player in here on the ball but him off the ball is, is crazy because he low man he blocking stuff he getting steals he's so long so I think he's better with me on the ball than the fourth. Yeah. Totally like gives you a different perspective of what you can do lineup wise if Ant can do that right Chris like mm -hmm. we've and you know Dilo's played really well. Um, in the fourth quarter of these last two games, but whether it be the, at the end of games or at other times, um, they haven't gone with D'Lo in the fourth or D'Lo to close games. And I think that's only an option uh, because Ant is able to be like guarding the ball, right? And you can kind of, then you can kind of slide Ant down to the one, Jaden to the two, maybe Kyle's Kyle or Prince or whatever is, is at the three. And D'Lo obviously serves an, an important purpose on this team, but I'm increasingly attracted to those lineups where the Wolves can just go really big, right? And yeah. and it it opens up another, like, if and when Cat gets back, this idea that, you know, you could go with the, just a maybe really gigantic lineup of Rudy at the five, Cat at the four, Kyle at the three, Jaden at the two, Ant at the one. And not that that's going to necessarily be your starting lineup, but right. if and when you need that defensively, like that lineup, I think could really be a problem and already has been with, you know, Prince maybe in instead of Cat or Austin Rivers and in instead of Cat there too. But just that idea of having a lot of perimeter defense, that looks special when Ant is special defensively. And I, I think we have to consider that once we start thinking about these next 35 games of the season or into the future of like, well, if we can get that from Ant, maybe we, the one thing we don't need to add is a perimeter defender because this team definitely needs a perimeter defender. They need to get it externally or it needs to be Ant. And this is the most I've believed in the idea that it can be Ant ever. Um, he, he has it. And to have it in the fourth quarter too, when you're tired, um, that's, that's impressive as well. I think it's this is what they've always talked about with Ant when it comes to his on-ball defense, what he's always talked about. And again, we've seen it in bits and pieces, but now we're seeing it more consistently. Mm -hmm. I think it's a smart move to just have him kind of do this in the fourth quarter so he's not expending too much energy throughout the course of a game. Like You do have to mind that because I do feel like there is a give and take when we've seen Ant focus on the defensive end of the floor on a given night that it can tend to take away from his offense or just the focus that, that he has or, or vice versa. Sure. It's been one of the right, other, it, for you, so much you, of do, you do have to, you do have to kind of pick your spots. Mm -hmm. So saying to him in the last eight minutes of a game, go lock up somebody is a little easier than having him do it for the other 30 that he's in. Um, and, and it would I be just, to expect him to do it for 36 minutes. That, is not a, a, a rational thought, right? The other yeah. guy, John Morant doesn't do that. Luka Doncic doesn't do that. James Harden doesn't do that, right? To have the usage that he has offensively and to ask him, you know, to guard Pascal Siakam for the entirety of the game. No, like that's not going to happen. This is the compromise. It's all right, last eight minutes, lock him up, right? And we'll make do the first three quarters of the game. I'm fine with that. Um, that, at least for now, seems 
more than enough to ask from Ant, and I think probably more than enough to be able to win uh, uh, against most teams. That's the balance right there. Pick the last six, eight, nine, whatever minutes of the game, like lock up Ant on the ball um, and and rely on the other guys like D'Lo to take over the fourth. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be 100% Ant on defense and 100% Ant on offense. Split right. that up and don't be afraid to share some of that to defense. I think I think that's uh, really meaningful. Also meaningful in this one, Chris, Nate Knight. Um, I, I think that's the, I think that whole like closing group uh, finished that game really strong. Uh, Ant, D'Lo, Austin Rivers made a couple of big defensive plays in the last four minutes of the game. Kyle Anderson was having an awful offensive game, but guarded Shen Goon down the stretch there. I thought that helped a lot. And then Nate Knight was a force um, in, in what he did, led the team in plus minus. We have like 19 when they were really so reaching. Plus 24 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was, he was, he was huge in that one. 23. When, yep. when Nas had it, was having a terrible game. Luca Garza really struggled in, in his stint. Like, um, this is we've we've had Nas games, we've had Garza games. Like this was the Nate Knight game, and they those three have kind of given them enough to survive uh, more times than not. Even in the games where Carl and or Rudy are are out of the game, what stood out to you about Knight and just the centers in general in that game? Yeah, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. They're they're getting just enough. It feels like on a nightly basis from these guys. They've won eight of eleven. Um, and I, I'm not sure how many of these games Rudy has missed or had to leave. It's been yes. maybe half of them. It's been maybe half of them at this point. True. So, so you're right. It's like it's kind of like, all right, which one, which one is going to go off tonight? Which one's going to have the night tonight? It seems like they, they have they can't all get it on the same page. Where right. it's like one of them is clicking, but it's yeah, you, you know, if if ever you're going to kind of break glass in case of emergency and have the the, the Nate night game. That yes. was that was the time to do it, right? Totally. Time to do it when, when everybody else is struggling. Um it's I, I just think it's interesting to to see stylistically how they all go about it and just the just the dichotomy between like how they so play center right? and how and how Rudy yeah. plays center. It's like it's just an interesting contrast in styles that that the three of them have or the four of them if you want to lump them all right. together um and it's just interesting how that dynamic just plays out offensively depending on which one of them is on the floor and what they bring to the table i um, thought i thought it was interesting post game how finch referred to the nas garza night like three centers as a three-headed center like i think we we have kind of given Nas the top spot in the pecking order of them. And I, I mean, he does have that. He starts when when uh, Kat and Rudy are out. But, you know, Nas, as flashy as Nas is, is not consistent either, right? And right. and so I think that's why, you know, Finch is willing to have a pretty quick hook on Nas, even when Kat and Rudy are out, because he does have a confidence in Garza and in Knight that, that is... That is certainly growing that he feels like, you know, I can kind of play any of them and it won't be if whichever one of Garza and Knight are on that night, I can find one of those and those can help, you know, kind of stymie if Nas is in foul trouble or struggling. Here's Finch on the three headed center idea and Knight. Isn't it a really good option to have if needed, just in the fact that, you know, that when he goes in, like something's going to change. 
yeah, I think that's a really like he brings immediate energy. You know, um, something's going to happen, good or bad. Um, mostly, it's been good. <laughs> you know, we have, right now with Rudy out, um, certainly Cat out, we have a three-headed center, um, and every night it's going to be different. And um, you know, every one of them has helped us win games in a different way. And sometimes it takes a little bit to find who's the guy is, but um, you know. When you have guys on your bench who can come in and help you win games, you know you have the right guys. So something is going to happen, good or bad. <laughs> that's totally. <laughs> would say, and I don't think Nate would take any offense to that. You know, it's right. like that's just yeah. it's kind of you know spin the wheel. It's going to be impactful. It's going to be impactful one way or the other. You know, with Nate, Chris, it's like so he didn't have a guaranteed contract, right? And right. they did end up guaranteeing that for the for the rest of the season a couple weeks ago. But I, I kind of thought with him, even you know, even with Cat out and stuff, I was like, maybe Nate just would want to go, right? Like, don't guarantee his contract for the rest of the season. Have him jump onto some other team, you know, that he can that he can play for. And they didn't do that. You know, I, I think that's a signal that you know Knight wanted to stay. If he would have signed a minimum contract with another team for the rest of the season, it would have been the same money, basically. You know, so I, I just think it's. It's interesting that they have prioritized having these five centers, which seemed ridiculous going into the season. Uh, and it just seems just as ridiculous that it's been important, right? Yeah. That Kat and Rudy have missed as much time as they have, and that Nas isn't quite at the level to be this, like a center, even when the opportunity presents itself, to play 32 minutes a night. He is not able to do that again, buzzword of the show today, consistently. So they've needed Nas, or they've needed Knight, and they've needed Garza. Um, and that is just a funny thing. It is just a weird thing with this team that they have legitimately needed five centers this season. And and as I, you know, I think about kind of applying the same thing to, I've been saying for a while now, I'm like, man, you got to probably trade Nas Reed at the trade deadline. Because right. once you have Cat and Rudy back, like he's not going to play, and you could probably get something from him. But it's kind of the that's the same sort of thing as not letting Knight go to a different team, right? Like maybe they do just keep Nas because they've been like, well, I don't know. It's been fifty games this season, and we've <laughs> right. needed five centers, so we've needed we've needed Nas on a nightly basis ever since the beginning of the season. Who knows when Carl's coming back? You know, like, mm -hmm. can they afford at this point in time, if they are serious about contending this year, to part with Nas for mm -hmm. the rest of the season? I don't know that they can. Right. I, I don't think they can right now. I would, I would have, I would have told you, you know, months ago. It's like, oh yeah, Nas. You know, if he's not going to sign an extension, mm -hmm. you know, it's just logical. You know, we, coming into the year, logical that he would be gone by the deadline, get something for him, and you know. He probably he doesn't want to be third wheel anyway sure. in his career, so it just makes sense. But now it's like I don't know that they can trade Nas if they, <laughs> if they wanted to. <laughs> you know, if you're not necessarily like you've got to win now, like mm -hmm. you've got to win now. So like, like if you need to hang on to Nas for just to have him for the last two months of the season and into the playoffs, like yeah, you got to keep him, and maybe you lose him for nothing in the off season, right? right. But you you might need him for these two months. So, you know, in your team, it's trying to win now. You've made the win now move, so you can't necessarily balance 
like, yeah, we, we should get rid of Nas. We get something for him in return. What is that something? I guess is is the question. And is that but something more important than just is that being something going to gonna really help you if yeah. Carl is out and Rudy is dealing with nagging injuries that mm-hmm. he's been dealing with uh, this season? So I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what I would do. Um, let's uh, let's take one more break and then I, I let's talk a little bit about that cat injury. I, he went on Twitch, right? You watched that and wrote about it. Mm-hmm. I I have not watched it, but uh, let's take a break. Talk about uh, what Cat and this timetable or lack thereof for his return is. Today's show is sponsored by Factor, and Factor has been a meal prep plan that I've used dating back to 2020. Grocery shopping was obviously complicated back then, so I wanted to find a meal prep plan that delivered healthy meals to my door. What I really enjoyed about Factor was that the meals were ready to eat. No chopping, no prepping, no cleanup, just heat the fresh never frozen meals, and you're ready to go in two minutes. Factor has been a way for me to eat healthier and limit the amount of money I'm spending on delivery food, delivery food that is often not healthy. Each meal is prepared by Factor's chefs and approved by their dietitians, which leaves me to feel better about what I'm putting in my body without adding significant cooking time. So if you want to try out Factor, head to factormeals.com slash danemore60 and use code danemore60 to get 60% off your first box from Factor. That's code DaneMore60 at factormeals.com slash DaneMore60 to get 60% off your first box. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, Chris, uh, we were just talking about the Wolves' three-headed monster at center, which does not include Carl Anthony Towns or Rudy Gobert. I think with Rudy Gobert, he'll be back in the mix uh, tonight against Houston, if not, you know, maybe Wednesday against New Orleans. There aren't really any signals that we've gotten that this is going to be a long-term injury uh, with with Gobert's groin. Obviously, Katz is a long-term injury. Um, maybe you could just get into some of the, the context of the reporting that has surrounded Katz's injury. Um, initially, we heard a four- to six-week timetable. I think that was... Uh, 
I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll let you get into it. Like, yeah, premature. Yeah. Maybe that was a reevaluation date versus a, um, you know, a, a time that he would actually be back from the, you know, back actually with the team. Well, we're probably eight, nine weeks into it now. What's going on with Carl and why do we not know the answer to that? Yeah. So I, I did, I did watch his Twitch stream and, and for about maybe four or five minutes out of, an over hour long Twitch broadcast that he had after the, I think it was the Raptors game the other night, you know, he kind of let some things off of his chest. Uh, <laughs> you know, he said it was a great three calf strain. We hadn't previously really known that before, mm-hmm. um, or at least it hasn't been, you know, kind of officially reported from anybody, you know, the team or him or anything like that. So he revealed that, which is a more severe injury, um, you know, and he, I th- I think it's been interesting. Everybody's kind of globbed on to this four to six week thing, right? And I, I, you know, I think it's because that's what Woj initially reported, right? And ESPN kind of reported that, and that was the headline of their article. It was four to six weeks. So everybody kind of globbed on to four to six weeks, four to six weeks, right? Yeah. The team never said four to six weeks. Like the team in their official release, the day it came out, said indefinitely. Hmm. And, you know, several weeks and indefinitely were the terms that they used. They never, the team never put a number on it. Finch, every time we've asked him for an update, which, or anybody does, which yeah. is fairly frequently, has never put a number on it. Mm-hmm. So nobody from the team has ever officially come out and say, this is the time frame, or Carl himself hasn't said, this is the time frame. Everybody just kind of grabbed on that four to six weeks and it seemed to annoy Carl because if you're not back by four to six weeks, everybody's looking around like, well, what's up, dude? Like, yeah. you know, what's going on with you? Like, are you, you know, mm-hmm. are, are you, do you not want to play? Do you, you know, this and that. So I understand Carl's frustration mm-hmm. where it's been now, what, almost eight weeks at this point. Yeah. It was November and 28th. So yeah. Yeah. We're coming up on like eight weeks. And so people are like, where are you, Carl? What's going on? What's going on? And, and he took issue with the fact that this was never the time frame to begin with. Um, from the moment he said he got his MRI, um, he it wasn't a grade two strain, which would have been maybe the, along the lines of that four to six week recovery timetable. He knew it was more severe and he knew that it was going to be longer. So he kind of took issue with how, you know, Wondering how that got out there, who from the organization leaked a four to six week time frame. So you, you know how Carl can be. He kind of goes off on tangents sometimes sure. um, when he's speaking in public. And that was kind of what this was. Um, but he basically said it was never a, a four to six week time frame to begin with. I don't know where that came from. It wasn't fair that there was a four to six week time frame leaked. Um, you know, we reported that in the Star Tribune, but we were we were careful to add uh, initially, we said one. We we said one time frame is four to six weeks potentially, but that is not definite. You know, we were kind of careful in our reporting to say that. I wanted to make sure that we said that, sure, because um, that was the best info that that we can come up with at the time. Um, so, yeah, he he just kind of let out his his grievances and and <laughs> and let out a little information as well. Um, he did add that things are going well. Everything he said, quote, everything is going good. I'm getting better, going really well. Mm-hmm. It takes time. This is a very real injury, significant, but it could have been way worse. I just think there was a lot of there's just a lot of head scratching over where this four to six week thing came from. And I think it's just important to note that 
four to six weeks never came officially from the team. Everything the team or Finch have said have has always been indefinite. We don't know when he's coming back. Several weeks. That was, you know, that was information that you know we right. got behind the scenes. Um, we we also asked Finch about it, kind of in response to the Twitch stream. We asked Finch about it before the the Houston game on Saturday. And he said, direct quote, there is no timetable for Cat's return. I, I also think, I know when I tweeted that out, I just seeing some of the comments off of that. People are taking that to mean, see you next season. Um, I, that, I do not think, is the right guiding principle here either. Now, again, who yeah. knows? Look at Jordan McLaughlin, calf strain two, comes back for three games, then it then kind of re-aggravates it and he's out. Um, could that happen to Carl? Yes, but I think Carl will play again this season because, you know, just from talking to people around the team, like the whole sort of energy of where they're at right now this season is like stay afloat, be around 500, maybe a couple of games over 500, get Cat back, go on a run. Like when you talk to people in the team, they say get Cat back, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that is uh the assumption, the more likely than not assumption that that is going to happen um, this season, we and perhaps they don't know exactly when or where that will be. I think it's interesting and tied to when we were talking about the other centers, potentially a Nas Reed trade. I think what we can bank on is that Carl will not be back prior to the trade deadline, which is yeah. February 9th, right? Coming up pretty quick here. Yeah, yeah so like that's two that, weeks. Yeah, yeah, just just over two weeks. So mm -hmm. again, to the not if Cat's not back, do you trade Nas Reed at the trade deadline? That's <laughs> what we're saying. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that you can at this point. But, in time. but or or I maybe know. I mean, I, I, I'm not in this camp, but maybe you can use the argument of you know Garza and Knight have looked all right, like. Maybe you can get away with right. them being the right. the, the, the backup, backup to Rudy. Or third right. or whatever right. it is. Take one of the heads off of the three-headed center. Um, mm -hmm. But but it is, I don't know, it, it's interesting context. Where I've just kind of been at without being explicitly told anything is I've just been anticipating after the All-Star break. That, I think, is, and you know what, and maybe maybe it is one of those where that's exactly when he could come back is is mid February, but that just happens to be the All Star break. So give him another week. That's where I'm going at it in my mind, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of you know Timberwolves fans have historically had frustration with some smoke and mirrors about uh, about injuries in general. That was particularly bizarre during the the Rosas time. So I understand fans kind of careening to the worst case scenario i'm just saying if i had to bet i'm betting that carl anthony towns plays again this season and probably plays 20 games um like yeah. i i don't even think it's going to be a right before the playoffs thing like i i do think it'll probably end up being what will that be after the all-star break that'll be about 12 weeks out um that seems like a fair thing to to point at to me anything you know Anything that you see about grade three calf strains suggests that, you know, 12 weeks can be at mm -hmm. the upper end of, of a return timetable, but it is a normal thing to be out that long mm -hmm. for a grade three calf strain. So 
and it's a wide window too. That was the other thing. Like eight to tw- eight to twelve weeks is is one of the windows for that. That's a significant amount of time. Oh. Like the t- difference between eight and twelve weeks. You might yeah, say it's it double four to six weeks. <laughs> we're, we're in it. We're in it now, right? Like, right. Yeah. It's double that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's you know, it's not like what's the word I want? It's not like there's definitive information or like. Mm-hmm. something that they're keeping from us. I don't think that they know. Like yeah. they just, you know, you, you just well, don't this know. This isn't a tanking. This isn't a tanking situation. Right. You just like, don't know when he's yeah. going to be ready. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's okay. It's okay to not have information. Sometimes it's okay to not know these things. I know we're in, a, we're in an age and a culture where everybody wants information. We need it. We need it now. We got to know. Sometimes it just takes time. Yep. Sometimes you don't know and they don't know. And, mm-hmm. He's just got to work his way back slowly but surely. And, you know, that's just how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing to to get to, Chris, some of we just the two of us have been talking about, like in the uh, just over the course of this season um, is the fouling problems with this team. You wrote about it uh, yesterday. And I think, you know, it was a lot of like, woo, Ant scored 44 and like <laughs> they beat the Rockets after the game. Um I did yeah, appreciate. Let's, let's yeah. Let's be honest. They don't win that game if they're not playing the Rockets. It, it, like, exactly. Let's be. Let's be honest. Uh, because turnovers, like yeah. the fouls and all that, were yeah. have been persistent through all of it. So I, I appreciated that Finch was like, he came down pretty hard on the the fouling after the game. Here's Finch after the the first Houston game. I know it didn't really hurt you too much tonight, but the fouls, yeah. a lot of fouls again tonight, a lot of trips to the free throw line for them. They missed a lot of them, but I know this has been an ongoing problem, but, you know, how do you see you know, improvement coming there? I don't see improvement. You know, we talk about it all the time. We show them film. Um, we work on our technique. Um, you know, a lot of defense is about poise. You know, like it's not a zero sum game. It's not like I steal it from you or you score. Uh, some of our guys kind of think it is. They feel like they got to make a great play, particularly when they've been beaten. And um, they got bad habits. And, you know, um, and it's, it, you know, it's evident. And there's guys that are certainly big, big culprits. And most of those guys, or a lot of those guys, play off our bench. Or oftentimes they play off our bench, which we are either in the bonus when they come into the game or get us to the bonus quickly. Neither of them are great. So, uh, yeah, it's something we just got to keep. Keep, keep, keep working on, but it's all about habits, you know. I mean, that's about as close as Chris Finch gets to directly calling out players. And I think the reason he's doing it and speaking that tone, Chris, is that it's been a persistent problem. They do seem to treat it like it's a zero sum game, trying to get a steal rather than just being solid on defense, uh, all those sort of things. And I think, like, it, <laughs> I think Finch needs. The roster to be more healthy to be able to hold some of these players, particularly the bench players, accountable. I'm like, yo, if you're gonna pick up three fouls in four minutes, like we're just not going to play you anymore once we have more players back and and available. I mean, you you've dug it dug into this fouling stuff a little bit more than I have. Um, what what's what's standing out to you there? Yes, it's a lot of a lot of a lot of guys have some really bad foul rates. Uh, if you you know go to cleaning the glass, um, uh, I'll pull up some of the numbers from my piece here. Nas was in the twenty fourth percentile. Uh, Torian Prince fourteenth percentile. Garza fourth uh, percentile. Nate Knight ninth percentile. These are 
really, really bad mm-hmm. foul rate numbers. Jaden is like second in the league in fouls overall. And yes, Jaden guards the other team's best player on a consistent basis, but it's still there's much. one or there's one or two fouls yeah. a game where you're like, Jaden, you didn't you, you did not need to commit that foul. Mm-hmm. Um away from the play or, or 70 feet from the basket, frustration type of fouls. He just that's his biggest obstacle in terms of his growth. Yep. It was just staying on the floor and and fouls are a big part of it. You need he and he needs to save his fouls for actually, you know, guarding the other team's best player. You can't be having these one or two fouls a game where they're very preventable or they're just frustration fouls. He can't do that. That is it, the number one thing that he needs to eliminate mm-hmm. uh to keep making his leap the rest of the season. And and when we talk about Cat potentially coming back, I mean Cat has historically in his career been as egregious of a follower as any of those players yeah. have too. So yeah. it's like you, you know, that I think that's where Finch is at. It's like, hey, we gotta, we've gotta stop this because it's probably only going to get worse. Given you know how often Carl, because Carl, like those numbers are all defensive fouling numbers. Like Carl fouls on offense a lot offense, too. Yeah, you know, moving screens that that sort of team. And, you know, we, we kind of like tend to be like, okay, everyone fouls, like both teams foul and, and it happens in the game. And we don't like, I, or I know for me, oftentimes when I'm looking at like the mistake stats, I'm pointing to how many offensive rebounds are given up, how many turnovers you're giving up. Like fouling is a mistake stat too. And when the Wolves are outweighing their opponent in that as well, it, it's just as hurtful. It can be just as hurtful um, for, for this team and just, you're putting the guy on the line. You're resetting the shot clock. You're doing what, whatever it might be. Like this team is getting hurt by foul trouble. Not to mention when you're in foul trouble, you got to come out of the game. I mean, that mm-hmm. is totally messing with Nods Reed's like rhythm in games. I feel like we're seeing picking up two in the first four minutes of the game. Then you got to come out and you're not coming back in until the second quarter, maybe picks up another one. I mean, I feel like that's happened like three or four times recently for Nas where in the beginning of the second quarter, beginning of the third quarter, he's out there for like 45 seconds, picks up another foul, he's got to come out. You know, it's it's fouls are disorienting because they're mistake plays, but they're also disorienting because they just pull you out of a rhythm. Pull you out of a rhythm and rotations, and, and, you know, they can't get to the Mm -hmm. lineups that they want to get to, potentially. Yeah. It's, it's, It's almost startling to, like, watch Rudy sometimes play defense because I, I covering this team for the last you know five years and you know largely this group of guys for the last you know three four years, I've just come to expect when guys drive down the lane that there's going to be a whistle. <laughs> there's going to be a whistle. Right. So when like Rudy is like going vertical and and things like that, and there's no whistle, I'm like, whoa, did I miss? Did I miss that? Did I miss the, the call? Am totally. I am I going deaf? Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's strange. Like, oh, you can play interior defense without fouling. Right. What a novel concept! <laughs> um, so, so it's startling to like see that difference in that. That yes, you can mm-hmm. play smart defense without fouling. And I, I, I thought Finch's description was was very apt. The zero sum game, yep, because it definitely feels like that at times. Where it's like, oh dang, I got beat. I need to, I need to try and now reach in and, and, and grab the ball over. away. Yeah. Or I just committed a turnover, you know, mm-hmm. now I need to make up for it on the other end, um, which is, uh, you know, good that you're trying to make up for it, but you got to be smart about it. 
and they're just currently not smart about it. They no, it, it's it's absolutely uh, something that needs to change. And as we do this, I feel like at the end of every episode, we're like, oh, they're at five hundred. Like, what's it going to take to have these next five? And then, and then right, and then next week they're three games below five hundred, exactly. and then. You know, a week later, they're back at 500 again. And, you know, it's it, we've, we've been repeating the same cycle. How do you get above 500 and stay above it? Mm-hmm. Not fouling. Exactly. Rebounding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the core issues that have always been present with this team are the ways to do it. Well, Just And, and it goes get, the other way, get too. Get to league average, too. Exactly. Like, get to league average. You don't have to be great at it. Mm-hmm. But work your way towards the middle, at the mm-hmm. very least. It's, Don't be at the bottom in any of these stats. It's how they go on a run. is, mm-hmm. And it's not just the fouling. It's the turnovers, the offensive rebounding, a streak of game. I mean, they got five games here left in January as we're recording this before the second Rockets matchup at Rockets, at Pelicans, home versus the Grizzlies, home versus the Kings, home versus the Kings. Um, it's an important week. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we say that every week. But, like, right. it is. It, it's it's the nature of being 500 in the Western Conference right now that um, it, it it swings you one way or the other. You go two and three versus three and two. It even that um, is is the difference here. And and the hope is through all the things we've been talking about here, um, Ant's leadership, maybe some players getting back, maybe you know downing the foul, offensive rebound, turnover things like that. That's how you do it. This has always been a team with small margins, and they need to. They need to extend that a little bit to have one of these streaks where they go on another run. Like you said, I mean, it has been eight of their last 11, right, that they've won? Yeah, eight that, Like, that's 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 good. Uh, you need to uh, extend that. That's just the the nature of the West right now if you want to get out of the plan. And uh, we will see. Chris, you will be at Wolves Rockets um, in in Houston tonight. So uh, look for for quotes and, and Chris's gamer uh, from the, the Star Tribune there on Monday evening, Tuesday morning and we'll uh we'll keep moving along with this team i will have brit joining me on tuesday to to discuss what happens in houston tonight and we'll we'll keep moving uh with this team throughout the week chris i appreciate you doing it no problem Dane. thank you uh he's chris at christopher hein on twitter i'm dane at dane more nba until tomorrow with brit how oh, I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah Green it all so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah I'm Mark Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.